Well, good morning, good morning. You can still say hellos and do the elbow things or air high fives, whatever you need to do to be safe. I'm so glad you are here. Welcome to Circle. It is really great to see you here today. Those of you online, welcome as well. And uh, if you're new with us, here or online, just take a moment to say hi to somebody. Make sure after the service you come to the information desk. We would just love to connect with you. It's so important to connect and to understand that we need one another. We need one another daily, and we need one another, especially in times of pandemics or in times of burdens. We need one another. So make sure you do that. Make sure you fill out a connection card. There's one in the, somewhere in the pew if you're here for the first time, or just come to Information Desk, and we'd just love to see you and get to know you. And if you're online, there is a chat thing, so you can just say hi there, and our online hosts will say hi back. It is really great to be here today. Now, some of you, uh, some of you may know that this past month or month and a half has been kind of a hard month for my family um, with a sudden illness of my dad, and then my dad passed away on September 11th. Um, and uh, it was a hard month. But I wanted to say to you, to my church, huge thank you. There's so many of you who knew about this and reached out and were praying for us, were helping us, were bringing meals for us. Um, and just from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of my whole family, thank you so much. Thank you so much for walking that journey with us, for being a faithful presence in our life. And you know, that kind of difficult journey makes you evaluate and think about things, how hard it must be for somebody who doesn't have a community to walk with them, to carry the burden with them, to be a faithful presence in their life. So on behalf of my family, on behalf of me, thank you so, so much. I'm incredibly thank thankful, and I, I'm not even sure if the words can um, say it enough. It's, it's, been a, it's been a month. So today we find ourselves in the series Faithful Presence. And as I said, this has been an interesting month for me, and, and kind of thought, you know what, I'll share a little bit what God has been teaching me in this time of, uh, that hasn't been that easy. And I was thinking a lot about how as a pastor... I have the privilege and honor to really think about God, to study about God, to share about God, to teach about Him, to ruminate on who He is, to ruminate on life with God and the world, like all these kind of big theological but philosophical questions. Like I have the privilege and honor to kind of live in that world. I get paid to do that, and I'm, it's, it's a huge privilege. But I also know that my life is full of stuff like good stuff and important stuff, but it's full of things, ordinary, ordinary parts of life, you know, like going to work, uh, kids, family, hobbies, um, <laughs> bills to pay, meals to make, all that kind of stuff that just fills up my day. And it's easy to kind of fall into a routine of life um, to do things almost automatically because we kind of get a we kind of get a sense of this is what my life is, this is what the things I need to do today, and we have a schedule. Sometimes those of you that are very organized might have, you know, Pastor John calls it a diary. I keep telling him we don't call it diary here. That's something younger people do. Um, but we have a calendar. We have a, something. We, we have a schedule of automatic things that we kind of get going and doing. And they're good things. They're not bad things. But it's just life is so full of stuff. But then something sometimes happens for us, something that just jolts us out of that routine, something that stops us in our tracks and changes everything. And when that happens, we really begin to evaluate everything, everything that we do. What stopped for, what stopped for me, my 
everyday normal stuff was the illness of my father. It occupied my mind, my life, my movements. It changed all my routines. It just stopped everything in its tracks. And it's interesting how sickness can do that. Some of you know all about that. For some, it could have been an illness. For another person, it might be losing a job. For another, it could be a breakup in a relationship in the family system. You know all about having your world change in the blink of an eye. And all the things we believe to be essential and important, all those things we negotiate for our time, in those moments when something goes wrong, when something changes drastically for us, all that stuff, all that stuff that takes up our everyday life becomes less. Now, I don't mean not important, or, nor do I mean meaningless. It just becomes less. We begin to reprioritize what life is about. Whatever that thing that jolts, jolts you, everything becomes razor-sharp focus around that event. There's a, high, a, high, a heightened awareness of now what? What do I do with my life now? And it's exactly in those moments of loss, of fear, of change. It is in those moments for many of us, we finally begin to ask questions, some very hard questions, like, where's God? And maybe, who is God? And I don't mean necessarily a faith crisis, although for some it is. I mean, we try to make sense of it. Like, where is God in this illness? Or where is God in this relationship breakup? Or where is God in me losing my job and not being able to support my family? Where is God in this tragedy and grief? You see, how we answer that, those questions will be based on who we think God is. For many of us, especially those of us who grew up in church or around Christianity, God is this kind, has become this kind of individual belief, a personal relationship, a private experience, something we fit in between all the other things of life. What I mean is that there's a temptation to fit life in a nice orderly routine with place for everything, including God. We negotiate a schedule to fit it all in, and it's good until there's an abrupt break in the routine, right? We daily obsess about holding our lives together, jobs, bills, family, fears, pandemics, dreams, vacations. Our life, our days, they often become a negotiation of time, of events, and people. Even our most intimate relationships can turn into negotiated contracts, right? If you clean the, your room, then you'll get to go out. Maybe if I do the dishes, then, I don't know, go play hockey. Somebody filled in the blank differently there. That's fine. Or if I help my friend, then for sure, for sure, if I help them, they will eventually help me. I'll have coins in my pockets because of all these things. And we negotiate these relationships. And as a result of unspoken but negotiated relationships, there's a time and a place for all things. And God has a place, a schedule, and has a time in that kind of routine. God becomes a God who fits the gaps of life until, until he's all we have. Today, I want to look at a very short but incredibly powerful story in the Bible, one that doesn't get a lot of airtime, 
probably because we really don't know what to do with it. But it's a significant story in our conversation as we look at faithful presence, as we look at what that means for us. And our story kind of starts with the arrival of Jesus, and we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke. That's, that's uh, the story of Jesus' life according to Luke. And it, it's, it's the gospel that we often read at Christmas time because he's just so vivid and explained in everything. There's the shepherds and the angels in the sky and all this stuff is happening. Mary and Joseph, like he just really, really explains the story so well. And we're going to find ourselves in chapter two, and there's a lot happening in this chapter as well. And our story, actually before our story, there's a story in verse 25 to 35 of a man named Simeon who had his dream fulfilled, who, had a, who has been told by the Holy Spirit that, that he's going to see the anointed one. And so he sees Jesus and his dream is fulfilled and he's all excited about it. And it's just a really amazing couple of chapters in Luke. I mean, they're all amazing, but it's just a lot of information is packed in it. And so because there's so much stuff going on, our story is so short, it's easy to miss it sometimes. But I want to really root us in this story. And it's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. So if you have your Bible, you can open to it. Uh, you can also find it on version or on our app, as well as it'll be on the screen behind me. But the story starts in verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Prophet Anna. Now, we really don't know much about her except for these few verses, what they tell us about her. But even in this brief story, Luke has developed a complete character sketch for us. And it can be easy to miss because it's so short. And like I said, the chapter is just so full of, full of so many things. But there's something very significant here that we need to notice. And we just zero in on the story. It can be easy, even in the few verses, to pick up the really great things about her, right? She was a prophet, and she was in the temple day and night, day and night, and she was praying all the time, and that's amazing. And it sounds so religiously significant. And I mean, she was a prophet, so I guess prophets can do that, but how, what does that look like for us every day of our lives? So maybe, is the story really for me and you? After all, how can it be possible for us to live a life what Anna shows us in just these few verses? But what I want us to do in this passage is not to get distracted by those big, big things that come out really right away. And we'll unpack them a little further down. But I want us to know the ordinary small parts of her story. And Luke teases it out for us. And again, I know it's easy to miss the character sketch here, but there's a lot that Luke really unpacks for us. So I'm going to just start with the first thing. Let's notice that Anna was a widow. Why is this important? It's important because Anna had known sorrow. Something in her life was jolted and different than she expected. She had known pain. She has known pain of losing her husband. She had known the devastating, life-altering pain, reality of things not going as she thought they would in her life just after seven years. We also know that widows in that time and culture could be disregarded or seen as cursed, stricken by God to be widows, which is, of course, why God reminds us over and over throughout the entire Bible to care for the widows. And he does that and specifically talks about that over and over because he wants people to know that they are not cursed. They are not apart from God. 
They're not apart from his plan. This reminder to care for the widows is in the Bible, and it's in there a lot. It's there so often that, that <laughs> it's, so, it's there so often that we can't help but lose where we, boy, I'm saying it a little bit differently here. We can't miss that we can't miss that God's presence is there with us. God's presence is with the grieving. He's not far. He's not far away. We know that Anna knew sorrow. And here's the thing about sorrow. Here's the thing about sorrow and grief. Is that sorrow and grief will make you ask questions. And I said this earlier. And it can make us ask very hard questions. And it will do one of two things when we ask those questions. Sorrow can make us hard, bitter, resentful, rebellious. It can make us frustrated and angry. It can push us to play the blame game. It can make us play the comparison game. You see, sorrow is a difficult journey. And there's a very, very real trauma involved with it. One that Anna knew. But sorrow can also make you kinder, softer, more sympathetic. Because through sorrow, we begin to recognize that suffering is part of life. No one is void of it. It can reveal to us the truth of suffering that all people are traveling a journey we might know nothing about. That being with people requires patience and kindness because we know nothing of everyone's journey. And we may, know, we may know some things in part, but not all things. Sorrow can reveal a gentleness that is required. It can soften our hearts. It can expand what love requires of us in different moments. So sorrow can hurt our faith, or it can root faith deeper in us. And I'm not saying this to kind of scare you with the, the alternatives here. It's just the realities of how sorrow can affect our psyche, how trauma can, can make us wander into one of the two directions. And here's the kicker. How we handle grief and how we handle sorrow all depends, all depends on who we think God is. If we think God is a tyrant who does, who does whatever he wants with no regard for his creation and people, we will resent him. But if we think of him as a loving parent, as the scripture unpacked for us, as a loving parent who suffers on our behalf and now is near our suffering and is present in our grief, our hearts will come to a different place with sorrow, to empathy, to love. And it's not that it's easy to get there. It's not a flippant thing we do, but it comes with honesty. Because the God of the Bible knows suffering, experiences suffering, and is present faithfully in suffering. Who we think God is will determine what we do with suffering in life. Will we be resentful, angry, or will we become understanding and kind? Who we think God is matters, and we know Anna knew suffering. Now, the second thing we learn about Anna, and it's kind of one of those things that you can just kind of read by sometimes, is that she was 84 years of age. She was old. Older. <laughs> you have to be careful. <laughs> She's wise. How's that? <laughs> and in her 84 years, 
being a widow, knowing suffering, she had never ceased to hope. Have you ever met an older, wiser person? Uh, yeah, good. And thought, I want to age just like them. I want to be gracious and kind. I want to be excited for the next generation. I want to have the zest for life. I want to see the best in people. I just want to age like they did. And it's so contagious when you meet an older person like this. There's just such a oozing of love that comes from them. I mean, I don't want to age and be bitter and angry at the world and be the person who says, kids these days, or get off my lawn, or whatever other thing people say when they get a little bit older. There's just something contagious and wonderful about meeting older people who just, just walk in love and gentleness and kindness. Again, I believe this kind of characteristic all depends on who we think God is. And we see it in Anna. She's joyfully rejoicing in God day in and day out, despite knowing suffering, despite knowing grief, despite knowing sorrow. Being in the presence of God has taught her to joy. So how is it that she comes to this place and to be in this presence? Well, one of the things we learn from this passage is that she never ceased to worship. She spent her life in God's house with God's people. She knew who God was by being his, in his presence, by spending time with him. We see that Luke is drawing out the picture for us uh, of someone who didn't just fit God in the gaps of life, but lived every moment as if God is in her life. Now, I started this by saying, let's not just focus on the large parts of the story, but I think now, after knowing that she was a woman who knew grief, a woman who lived a long life, enjoyed despite of her grief, it's important to unpack this presence of God in her life. Anna knew the faithfully present God. You see, our lives, all our moments, all the important stuff that we do is surrounded and filled by God's presence. This is what the Bible and the scriptures teach us. There's no place here on earth apart from God. We may not know him, we may not hear him, we may not see him. We may choose to do all those things, but he is there. He's not the God of gaps. He's the God, uh, who, he's the living God living in us and with us and amongst us. And all our important stuff that we do is surrounded with his presence, even when we don't notice it. All those important functions of life that are, um, of life are not separate modes in between which we fit God. Because the Bible teaches that God is present in them, and Anna knew it. The person of Jesus we see in the scriptures is one who is present in all realities of life. He's present in all things, in grief, in joy. He's not distant. He's not petty. He's God who is near. He's God who is with us. So who we think God is will determine a lot about our life. It will determine a lot about our heart. It will determine a lot how we deal with the suffering of life and with joys of life, and it will, deal all, and it will shape who we become, and it will shape how we care for our neighbors, and it will shape how we look at conspiracy theories and TV and news and politics and all that stuff that upsets us in different ways. It will shape how we come to them when we realize the very presence of God is walking with us, loving us, 
and that no other person on the other side of that TV or on the other side of your room or in, in your pew is apart from God, but is actually the likeness and child of God, whether they know it or not. What we think of God will determine a lot about our life. Tozer said it like this, God's, present, or God's presence is central fact of Christianity. What Pastor Aidan Wilson Tozer says is that the heart of the Christian message is that God is waiting for us to push into conscious awareness of his presence in all things. He's patiently waiting for us to recognize his presence in all things. Think about it. What our Christian faith first and foremost teaches us is that the most ideal place for us, the greatest place for us to be, how does our story start? Our story starts, our greatest place for us is where? In the garden with God. The most ideal place for people was to be with God. The most perfect place for humanity was in the garden with God, a place where God dwelled with his people. And they still had stuff to do. Right? They had work to do. They were supposed to have families. They were supposed to have relationships. They were supposed to uh, till the land. There were still jobs to do, and God was with them in that place. The most ideal place is and was in God's presence. And it wasn't God who left. The entire epic story of God is bringing his people home. One of the, one of the names for God we have in the Bible is, is Emmanuel which means God is with us. These are the promises that the scripture proclaims over and over and over. There's so much we can fit here, verse after verse, story after story in the Bible of God's faithful presence being near his people, calling his people to him, desiring a relationship with his people. He does this because God is a God of faithful presence in our lives. I believe Anna was able to praise God day in and day out because she knew that God was near her and present with her. God knew her pain, knew her, and she knew him and knew him as love. You see, when we encounter God's presence, when we encounter the Lord of heaven and earth and know and know that he's not removed, that he's near, our everyday life becomes a testament of ordinary miracles. Nothing we do becomes just stuff. It becomes miraculous living, even in the suffering. God knowing us in all things. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes a jolt to jolt us back into this reality, to, to begin to ask these questions, to begin to see past what life is all about. In Jesus, we learn that God is, was willing to do anything, that God was willing to do anything so that we could have everything. I love Apostle Paul's description of, of everything God was willing to do. Now, Pastor John read this passage last week, but I'll repeat it. It's my, it's my, favorite, it's my absolute favorite passage in the Bible, and it's found in Philippians 2. So Paul is, Apostle Paul is writing to a church, and he describes Jesus, his nature here, starting in verse 6, and he says, who, that's Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage. He's not a petty God. He's not a manipulative God. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. If you think of God as a tyrant and far-removed deity, someone who is petty, who doesn't care, your pain will close in on you, and your heart will get hard. And the blame game will become such an easy thing to do. It'll be so easy to see everyone else as a villain or an enemy or somebody who's trying to get into your space. And that is not the God that the Bible teaches When you know God to be Jesus, who was willing to become nothing, like a servant, to be humble to death, even death on the cross, humiliation, if you really grasp that in your life, you, like Anna, will begin to reflect a hope and adoration, gentleness and grace into your years of life. God is who Jesus is, period. We can trust and live in the faithful presence of God because God in Jesus did this for us. This is what the whole Bible impacts, God's faithful presence and God ushering us home to him by his sacrifice and his suffering. Knowing our suffering because he suffered. Adoration of who God has led Anna to be in the temple, to be, to be in a place of gathering for worship. Friends, today, church... Church today is the gathering of all. To proclaim that God is here. And I don't mean just this building. I mean church, all of us, people that claim to have Christ as our Savior. We are church gathering to proclaim that God is present in our everyday stuff. In all our joys, in all our sorrows, in all our worries, in all our uncertainties, God is in them. And like Jesus, in our gathering, we are now invited Actually, we have the privilege to carry the burdens and hopes of one another because of what Jesus has done in his faithful presence of entering our suffering. We, all of us in this room and outside of this room and online, are invited to carry each other's burdens. We are now invited to be the faithful presence to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's maybe, if you're new to church, Christians often say that, hands and feet of Jesus. That's what we mean. You actually live out the burden of other people. I had the privilege and joy of having people be faithfully present to me and carry my family's burden. My heart breaks if there's anyone in this room that is going through a burden and a sorrow on their own. We are called and invited to be a faithful presence because God is faithful. And by doing this, we acknowledge God's faithful presence in our lives and strive to be his faithful presence in the world. Why would we do that? Because we are most fulfilled when we live out our likeness of Jesus by loving our neighbors. Because we were made for this. So what do we do with life's suffering? Well, the Bible's answer for this is the gathering church. God's plan is to become present to the world in and through a people and then invite the world to join him. How does this happen? 
In the simplest of terms, a group of people gather and become present to God. We don't wait for something to jolt our life, to something uh, suck the life out of it. We don't wait for that. We gather and become present. Suffering will come. It will. No one's void of it. But we must first gather and be present to God's faithful presence to be able to then be faithfully present to the world. Not bitter, not angry, not petty, not hard-hearted, but faithfully present, reflecting Jesus in our lives to all we meet. Faithful presence is acknowledgement of God's presence in us and around us. And when, and when spent in that presence, we begin to shape our lives and shape our hearts to be like Jesus. And when we do that, we're able to step out and share that presence to the world. Only then. This is what we mean when we say, hands and feet of Jesus. I repeated that twice. It's good for memory. David Fitch, uh, author, um, speaker, teacher, I think he was a pastor for a while too, says it this way, faithful presence, I contend, must therefore be a communal reality before it can infect the world. Second thing we see Anna do is she never ceased to pray. Our gathering, our public worship is so important, as I said. We need to gather, we need to be present, and only then we can be present to the world. But our private worship, our private prayer is crucial connection to the faithful presence of God. You see, it's not either or, it's both. It's a deep awareness of God's presence in all parts of our life. And when, it is deep, and when we are deeply aware of his presence, like Apostle Paul, we can say, pray without ceasing because there's no such thing apart from God. There's no such thing void of God's presence. As someone has said, they pray best together who, pray, who first pray alone. The years had left Anna without bitterness and had given her unshakable hope for the, um, gave her unshakable hope. All of this was possible because day by day she kept her contact with him who is the source of strength and life. And in whose strength our weakness is made perfect. This small story about Anna, um, look how it concludes here in verse 38. Coming up to them, coming up to Mary and Joseph and Jesus Anna, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She recognized, God's, uh, she recognized God because she was in his presence her whole life. And so she proclaims, gives thanks, and shares the presence of God arriving in Jesus. The redemption, the hope has arrived. God has come to bring his people home. I don't know all your stories. I don't know all your journeys, all your ups and downs, all your valleys or mountaintops. I know some. What I do know, who we think God is, will shape your heart. And it will shape your life. If you today didn't know this Jesus, this God who loves you so deeply that he has always desired to be near you, to be with you, who has so deeply desired to hold you, love you, fulfill you, if you haven't known this Jesus who would go to all lengths, even death, that he would go to death and defeat it, that you would live and not die, if you have not known this Jesus, I want to take a moment for you to meet him. 
Or maybe you haven't thought of God this way. Maybe you thought of him as kind of distant somewhere out there, and he kind of is happy that you show up on Sunday, or maybe midweek you come to circle group, and he's kind of like, oh, that's great you did that. And then you kind of do your own thing. If that's the God you thought God is, that's not the God of the Bible. God is present in your every day, and I want you to know him. And I don't want you to walk your sorrow or suffering or grief or burden alone because you were never meant to walk it alone. In just a moment, we'll just ask you all to bow your heads and we'll pray. And I'll do a prayer. And if this is your first time praying this, or maybe this is the first time you've heard of, a, of Jesus in this way, would you just raise your hand? Would you just make that public statement that you want to know this Jesus and you want him to invite him into your life, into all your stuff and like Anna, you want to see him, and you want to know him, and you want to hear him, and you want to be present with him. And we just want to pray with you. I want you to know the clearest picture we have of who God is, and that is Jesus, period. The clearest picture we have of who God is, is Jesus. And so today I want you to recognize, to be made aware that he's near, he loves you and cares for you, and he's willing to go on the cross and die. And that he weeps with you, and he laughs with you, and he likes you. He loves you, for sure. But he likes you. Don't wait for a jolt in your life for you to consider these things. God, who knows suffering... God who loves you, God who will journey with you. Now, those of you who are online, you'll have the opportunity to. We have online real hosts, people there. So you can just click on the link that will come up if you want somebody to pray with you and they'll connect with you. We don't want anybody to journey this alone. So why don't we just take a moment and bow our heads and keep them bowed for a moment after prayer because I'll, I'll ask you to raise your hands. But if you've never known Jesus in this way, would you pray this with me? God, thank you for your eternal faithful presence. Thank you that you desire to be with us and that you have always been present. Even though I may not have noticed, even though I got caught up in stuff and doing life, thank you that you want to be with me, that you want to make your home with me. Father, forgive me that I forget that I live a life as if you are not near. Thank you for your presence and love. Would you, Jesus, be the Lord of my life? Help us to see and to know you. Help me to hear you. Help me to live your faithful presence out in this world. God, we pray this in your name. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, with your heads just still bowed, if you prayed this prayer, would you just lift your hand and let us know? If you made this public declaration, yeah, thank you. Yes, that's awesome. Thank you for praying that. Somebody will come and pray with you after the service. Thank you for making that declaration. You can, you can look up now. Thank you. Let's celebrate together. Just some people have made some awesome commitments. And we celebrate because we acknowledge God's presence in our midst. If you're new to faith, if you made this commitment and you've never known Jesus this way, I just want to, I don't like commercials in church. I don't, I don't want to do that. 
But I do want you to know that we have, we create spaces here at Circle for people to be in the presence of God. One of the spaces is Alpha. So if you've known, if this is the first time you've heard about Jesus in this way, would you consider joining Alpha? It's starting this coming week. It's free. It's one evening, hour and a half, couple hours, where we just unpack things like who is Jesus? Who is God? Why do we pray? Why do we go to church? What's the point of church? All that kind of stuff. If you've never heard of Jesus in this way, could I just encourage you to come to the information desk and get more information and maybe consider attending Alpha? Another space is so crucial. I know there's a lot of things, but this is so important. As we gather as to be a faithful presence, would you consider if you're not part of a small group, we call them circle groups here. If you're new with us, would you sign up for one? We need one another to carry the burdens. And it's easy to hide in the big room. It's easy to feel invisible even when there's less of us in pandemic, circle groups, there's that smaller group of people that can know you and carry the burden with you. We were always meant to walk together these journeys. If you made a commitment, please come and talk to somebody. It's not just a private event. The Bible over and over and over calls our gathering a family. A family where there's a good father who's present and loves us, where you belong. Friends, so much depends on who we think God is. That is why the scriptures, the Bible, spend so much time unpacking this gracious, loving parent who's constantly pursuing, who's constantly seeking us, who's constantly, faithfully present. What an awesome God we have. In just a moment, we're, we're, we're going to have a song, and Celeste is going to come up and share a few more things. But let's just close this time we have together of, 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 uh, of rejoicing who God is in prayer. Would you close your eyes with me again, and let's just close in prayer. God, I thank you again for your faithful presence. I thank you that you care about all the details of our lives. I thank you, God, that you're in there when we suffer, when we hurt, when we're not sure. You're just so good to us, and you're so patient. And your goodness is so great. Thank you for that, God. What an honor and gift that is. Father, again, we are just so thankful. God, I pray for those that made a decision today or want to know more about you, Father. I just pray that we continue to come together and carry each other's burdens. And God, if, if there's anyone suffering alone in this room, give us eyes and ears to see and hear that and come alongside of our, our brother or sister. Help us to care for one another. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithful presence. We praise in your name. Amen.